Effective social reformers are seldom liked and liked social reformers are seldom effective. Today, I'm joined by Jonathan Van Maren to talk about social reform versus marketing. Stay tuned. Hi, folks. My name is Cam. I am the host of the Pro-Life Guys podcast. And today I'm joined by friend, colleague, incredible human, Jonathan Van Maren. How are you doing, sir? Good. How are you? I am living the dream. Um, I feel like the audience doesn't get to see this very much because it's been like, what, like eight months since you've been on the show, it feels like? Yeah. And I've never been on the show where we're actually talking face to face, only ever by Zoom. This yeah. is awesome. I haven't had like since Jeff Park, I want to say like 14, 16 episodes mm -hmm. ago. So this is cool. Yeah, yeah. Cool that you're in Alberta. Why are you in Alberta again? We're in Alberta to do fundraising for our upcoming internships, which I'm sure all the listeners will be hearing a lot about because this year looks like we're on track for CCBR's biggest year ever. So it's going to be a pretty incredible year. It yeah. is going to be amazing. We're going to do a ton of traveling, which I'm looking forward to. We're going to hit Vancouver Island, where I am from, for yeah. the first time, which is pretty exciting. Uh, we got teams going to Atlanta, Canada, the Maritimes, the whole shebang. Are you it, joining? It'll be literally coast to coast. So Newfoundland, all the way to Vancouver Island. Bingo. Love yeah. Are you joining for any of the tour stuff out that way? I'll be doing some of the talks in Ontario. Okay. Yeah. Gotcha. I don't get to do the really fun part, which is Atlantic <laughs> Canada is the really fun part because yeah. that's completely virgin territory for CCBR and that we've spoken there before, mm -hmm. but we don't have any established groups yet. Okay. So that could be really, really cool if a bunch of people catch the vision and want to start up their own community groups. That will be a, a big push forward for us. Love it. Yeah. Love it. I, I can't wait to hear that. We're going to have to get Blaze Elaine, who's kind of coordinating mm -hmm. a lot of that maritime stuff mm -hmm. on the show as well, not only in the prep, but also follow through because I feel like the pro-life experiences can be entirely different out there than in other parts of the country. I mean, yeah. there, there's nuance that happens culturally across the country. I mean, it's a gigantic country with very few people living in it. And so at some point that does spring to mind because they're both huge uh, Stuart McLean fans that yeah. we're going to have to do a small town Canada mm -hmm. um, episode at some point, just to talk through some of your stories, some of my stories mm -hmm. on kind of the pro-life movement. Um, before we dive into the meat and potatoes of social reform as it relates to, in some ways, marketing. Uh, what have you been up to last little bit? So obviously you're fundraising right yeah. now. Um, what's been on the on the schedule for you for the last little bit since you've been on the show? Right now I'm chewing in my head through all these different Stuart McLean small town stories because I, I got <laughs> some great ones. Honestly, uh, it's it's been really crazy. We're, um, we're still doing going, working our way through the, the post-COVID backlog mm. of you know catching up on all the talks, all the conferences. Two years of canceled talks are all kind of coming back. So I've been on the road every week for seven, okay. at least for a couple of days, um, doing a lot of speaking. I was just out uh, with the good folks in Edmonton, Irlandia, mm -hmm. um, spoke at, I was it was Barhead Right to Life, but no, it's in Barhead, but it's Pembina uh, Pro-Life. So I just did their dinner. Um, and this week, uh, of course, we're here fundraising. I don't know for time of airing, but next week I'll be uh, doing the keynote for Michigan. Yeah. Um, Protect Life Michigan, which is a group that very much does uh, a lot of the same stuff we do with in terms of conversational apologetics and and uh, social reform tactics. And then uh, we have people at every single March for Life coming up, which is going to be really cool. So I'm speaking at the BC March for Life. You guys are at the Edmonton March for Life. Um, Blaze and the team are going to be at the Toronto March for Life. And then I believe we have our colleague Emil, who is going to be tabling for CCBR at the Ottawa yeah. March for Life. It's really cool. That's fantastic. Uh, yeah. Shout out to the March for Life. So as you mentioned, we're going to be there. Please do connect with us at all of them, particularly the Toronto one, because we have a huge hand in running that one. We're also super excited. So I'll be speaking not only at the Edmonton March for Life, but we have an officially endorsed by the March for Life apologetics workshop right after the March for Life. And so if you come to Edmonton, definitely check that out. Um, info on that should be coming out relatively soon, but it'll be at uh, St. Jehoshaphat or 
St. Josephat Ukrainian Catholic Church in downtown Edmonton. Um, I'll try to drop in the show notes the details on that. Mm-hmm. Let's dive into it. You so bet. a theme that ha- that we've been talking about for a long mm-hmm. time that I feel like comes up in, in different capacities in a lot of different ways is the tension between um, social reform and marketing. And mm. you've been on the show to talk about CCPR's approach using abortion victim yep. photography, why it makes a ton of sense in not only the abortion issue in general, but specifically for education in the abortion realm. And I'm, I wanted to pick your brain on that tension, that relationship between marketing and social reform, because obviously on the podcast, so often we're talking about winning people and not just arguments. Mm-hmm. We're talking about building rapport and common ground, all that kind of stuff. And yet I feel like at times it can be tempting for pro-lifers to take that a step too far or maybe mm-hmm. a step in the wrong direction towards, you know what, we just can't upset anybody. The rapport is our highest aim and, and we're doing this for the sake of rapport and common ground and basically having people like us. But that's not how social reform has played out historically. What does that tension look like in your mind? And and what is the difference ultimately between social reform and marketing? Yeah, so that's a fantastic question. And it's it's something we've spent a lot of time thinking about at CCBR, mainly because especially when we first launched our our, our cross country and the killing plan. Uh, and well, got approved by the board in 2011. Mm-hmm. We launched it across the country, of course, with, with the uh, the caravan um, in 2012, which you were on and I was on a very long time ago. But we feel that a lot of criticism initially from pro-life groups about abortion victim photography mm-hmm. and our social reform tactics, which um, you can drop the link in the, in the show notes. But we've had a long discussion before about the different historical social reform movements that we've based our tactics on. So CCBR's tactics were not invented by us. They were invented by the Society for Affecting the Abolition of the Slave Trade and the National Child Labor Committee and the Civil Rights Activists. And we've just adopted and adapted these tactics for the 21st century abortion context. But one of the things that that uh, pro-lifers would consistently say is, why don't you have really attractive imagery? So I'm sure all the listeners have seen these billboards before, right? You have a, you know, a, like a, a pretty pregnant lady who's, you know, look, looking adoringly down in her belly or a really beautiful family, all of them looking at this baby um, or just a really cute, fat, chubby kid, you know, and it's like, who doesn't like one of those? Um And so they would say, well, why, if you're going to use imagery, if we buy your premise that imagery is necessary, especially in a very visual culture, then why wouldn't you use imagery like that? And I think the mistake that's being made there is that social reform tactics are being held to marketing standards. So marketing, right, is is trying to attract somebody to something. And so a picture of a beautiful baby, it's saying it's a beautiful baby. This is attractive. You should want one. You should want yours specifically and not have an abortion. Um, Or if it's a picture of a beautiful family, right, it's like, look, this could be yours if you make, you know, the life-affirming choice rather than the other choice. Whereas social reform is saying, Abortion is horrifying, and essentially we want to make abortion more horrifying than the circumstances of a crisis pregnancy, as Greg Cunningham would so often put it. And so when the goal of social reform is not to attract somebody to something, but to repel them away from something. And so William Wilberforce wasn't, you know, the pro happy and healthy, you know, post slavery freedmen and freedwomen. It was the horrors of slavery. National child labor wasn't just like, look at these adorable children playing in a, in a, in a school playground because they're not working in factories. Their hands are all intact because they haven't been made by machinery. No, it was, this is what's going on behind closed doors. 
Same thing with the civil rights movement, right? You didn't have pictures of of families who were not suffering from segregation or smiling people lined up at the ballot box because they now had the right to vote. It was people being bitten by dogs, sprayed by fire hoses, Emmett Till in his casket. And so in every instance where social reform movements have successfully shifted public opinion, it's never been because they were marketing something to people. It was because they were repelling people from an injustice. And so the first distinction I would make is that when somebody says, well, your images turn people off, I would say, well, yes, that's the point. Now, if we were trying to market and we were turning people off, we would be making a huge mistake or we would be screwing up somehow. But we would be screwing up if we were showing people horrifying images and we were attracting them to that. That's not at all the way that works. Yeah, absolutely. And, and sometimes what I think about it, I'm curious on your thoughts of the analogy of like, we're not trying to present that the, gr- the grass is greener on our side of the fence, but rather that the side that you're standing on is a terrible wasteland of broken corpses mm-hmm. that it's not a matter of whether we have lush grass over here that that it's effectively impossible to make pregnancy more appealing than the idea of simply not being pregnant and that's what abortion is perceived for the vast majority of people this isn't a matter of destruction and and death but rather a reset button in a lot of people's minds which is why we need to show them what that quote-unquote reset button really is right Mm -hmm. yeah so I'll, i'll give a couple of other examples i agree with everything you just said that's very well said if you look at something like the holocaust and you're being taught about it i got taught about it in high school i think around grade six or seven is when you first start learning about it um in university even far more extensively you don't teach about the holocaust by just showing pictures of vibrant pre-war jewish communities Mm -hmm. as a way of trying to convey the destruction that followed i would argue that that a picture of a of a smiling baby um is just simply inadequate to convey the point you're trying to make which is that picture actually doesn't say anything about abortion immediately um it's it's inherently connected to the abortion issue because abortion tears that body apart but that's not the message that you're actually sending even if you're trying to that's why if you want to learn about the holocaust you see pictures of auschwitz and dachau and the death pits and all these other horrifying images Uh, as hard as they are to look at they are the representation of what the reality actually is yeah and and that that reality has to be the starting point for the conversation about abortion that mm-hmm. it that it doesn't make sense to talk about something that in some ways is completely unattainable right you think about even like commercials or advertising you might see online of yes. like this this family of four driving through the country winding roads in this beautiful car and you're like okay well that that's entirely unrealistic because the car that you're pitching to me costs 25 grand and i have a negative amount in my bank account like that and i wouldn't have time for a road trip i just bought a car like that <laughs> exactly <laughs> <to make> money <laughs> exactly so this idea of presenting something of a happy child with mm-hmm. like obviously um put in a loving environment and all this kind of stuff like that idea of advertising in some ways, I feel like it it might not even be I, I don't think appealing is quite what I'm looking out of like like it just might be entirely unrealistic. Unrealistic and unattainable. So I, I want to make a point here first before I uh, I make my next point is I am not criticizing any group that decides to use beautiful billboards. I completely get the point behind them. But here are my two strategic issues with beautiful billboards. So starting with billboards, which I've seen a lot of, and they're really adorable. These like fat, chubby babies. Um, as again, Greg Cunningham points out, those billboards are answering a question nobody's asking. Nobody at this point, not even Peter Singer, based on the age of the baby, is advocating 
you should be able to end that child's life. And so a pro-choice person can drive by, I think, adorable baby. I'm sure glad its life is protected. And you haven't actually made a pro-life or pro-choice point. You've just provided a cute picture that lightened up somebody's commute a little bit. So first of all, I, I don't think images of, of beautiful babies, ex utero, actually say anything about abortion. Secondarily is the picture, pictures of the beautiful families. And uh, I know you've had the same experience, but I first started to realize this when I started doing um, outreach on campus very regularly. And I realized the extent to which most young women who said that they were considering abortion or they wanted abortion to remain legal because they needed the option were doing so simply because they felt that if they had a child at that point in their life, the beautiful family being shown on those billboards would be unattainable for them. The data tells us for both Canada and the US that a majority of women who are aborting are, are under some form of coercion, whether it simply be like, I really want you to get an abortion all the way to the violent end where, you know, you go down to the Kensington Clinic, you'll see plenty of guys yanking on arms as they as they pull their girlfriends or wives into the clinic. And so for a lot of, of young women, they will actually get an abortion because they're like, this guy's leaving. He's actually a terrible trash human, as I've discovered. Um, he's, he's not the kind of father I want for my child. If I keep this baby, then I'm going to be in a scenario where I have to find somebody to marry me, who is willing to be a good dad to somebody else's biological child. And I've heard that directly out of the mouths of many, many young women. Um, many of them will say, if I hadn't had an abortion, I wouldn't have been able to have this relationship or these kids or this family. And so I actually think that a lot of these billboards that show, you know, a mom and a dad smiling adoringly at a baby is in some cases doing the reverse of the intent, which is young women, if you've got a 16, 17, 18, 19 year old girl in a crisis pregnancy, who's feeling desperate, she is not going to look at that image and think, if I carry through with this pregnancy, that can be mine. She's actually maybe thinking I'll never get that if I carry through with this pregnancy. I, and I think that's an excellent point. And I think that one other um, kind of idea that I've had regarding those um, billboard campaigns and other campaigns. And again, we're not, we're not, condemning anyone who no. who has invested tremendous time and energy i think that they have a place i wonder at times whether or not this is simply getting a little bit too far ahead of ourselves of like who does that message resonate with and i think that uh, you brought up the the wonderful folks that we have up in barhead near land mm. the uh, kind of pemina area um, be careful don't pronounce the b in pemina i've been told that on several occasions pemina um for all you folks up in pemina uh, we've got that corrected now don't worry um but that, that this is speaking to pro-lifers in many ways of like, we want other people to have this. Therefore, let's invest our time and money towards alleviating the suffering that, that pregnant mothers are, are encountering. Like, who is the actual recipient of that message? Yes. That, that there is a valuable audience for that message. And that's why at like pro-life galas and whatnot, like, like by all means, every pregnancy center out there, all you pro-life groups, even us, when we share our, our newsletters, obviously our newsletters are not horror stories because we're speaking to a different audience. Our newsletters, every gala banquet, everything yeah. is going to be, this is a success story. This is a beautiful picture of a, a child and their family kind of thing. And let's make that possible. Like you mentioned for mm -hmm. the people that don't think that's possible. And so I think that that's a valuable step. I just wonder at times if groups are getting a little bit ahead of ourselves. Yes. Yeah, so I have no objection to these billboards because like, look, um, spreading a little bit of beauty in the world is, is always a positive thing. I enjoy the billboards every time I drive past them. The point that I'm making here is to respond to a, the question, why do you use the imagery you use instead of imagery like that? And also to make a point, I think about the effectiveness of the imagery. 
I do not think those billboards are effective in taking a pro-choice person and changing their mind. I do not think that a woman in a crisis pregnancy, um, not like, you know, somebody who's got all the social safety net that he or she need, or that she needs. And she's, she's just like, well, maybe I'm not ready. I mean, somebody who's in a crisis pregnancy is desperate is, is, is and in this economy, that's more and more common where they're simply afraid that having the baby will mean that they can't make ends meet. I don't think that that, that image actually has the intended effect. Mm -hmm. Now, people are always going to be able to give me one or two examples of somebody who saw a billboard and God used that and really struck them and, and, and it stopped them in their tracks. And they decide not to have an abortion. That's true for any number of different projects, whether it's, you know, the cemeteries of the innocence with all the little crosses, um, whether it's a beautiful billboard of a family of you know, people looking adoringly at a baby. You're always going to be able to find one or two examples of this. But I would say in the main, all of the evidence, and we do have statistical evidence on this too, for the effectiveness of, of those billboards, mm -hmm. is you're not actually accomplishing the task of making people think twice about what they're about to do. Mm -hmm. uh, one of the things that I think it was very true for me, and I, I don't know about your personal experience when you first started doing um, um, pro-life outreach. I know this was true for, for my sister, who uh, Justina Viman, who wrote Stuck as well, is when you come from a whole family, right? Where like our parents were married and loved each other and loved us. And my grandparents were married and loved their kids and us. Mm -hmm. um, and so on and so forth. Like I have to go back generations before I find a broken family. Um, if, if I'm going directly up from great grandparents to great, great grandparents. And I think coming out of the community, uh, coming out of a, a Christian community where there are broken families, of course, but they are not the norm. The norm are, is still, is still families that have remained together you kind of think, well, like this is so wonderful and this is so amazing. And, you know, I got this great privilege. If we can just showcase this privilege to the outside world, then we can, it, it can be attractive to them. Attractive and attainable are two entirely different things. And one of the things I realized very swiftly doing activism is that the life that I had been privileged to grow up with was not only unattainable, but in many ways unimaginable to somebody who had simply never experienced growing up with a bunch of siblings and married parents who loved each other. Absolutely. And, and that's why during our internships, one of the most important things is to bring them to a high school really early on so they can see what yeah. so many of these um, young uh, men and women are actually dealing with and coping with. And the idea of, and it's played out for us hundreds of times, I'm sure, of, so we juxtapose the abortion victim photography yeah. with ultrasound imagery, and we have this anticipation that people are going to love the ultrasound images and then grapple yeah. with whatever. But I don't, I don't know about your experience, but I find that the ultrasound images get covered up just as much, if yeah, not more, than the abortion victim images. Yeah. And I've also found that people are almost as terrified of the ultrasound image because of all of the risk and all of the uncertainty and all of the like long-term breakdown that they're anticipating with that positive pregnancy result, whereas they actually have an easier time coping with the abortion because they see all of that abstract, unknown tragedy and difficulty done away with. And so it's a powerful juxtaposition, mm. but a, the notion that people are going to, again, be attracted. I don't want to belabor the point too much. I want to get into... Um, how to help pro-life groups take the plunge and, and embrace the ETK strategy yep. that we've we've been out there for. But I think that, that that's also relevant for people to be aware of that not only is that happy child um, unattainable in some ways, but that pre-born child, that ultrasound image can be just as terrifying and just as difficult to grapple with as that abortion victim image as well. 
thoughts on that before we dive into the taking the next step for groups? Yeah, so t- two things um, on the juxtaposition, and then one one last anecdote on on the social reform marketing thing. Uh, I remember when we we did one tour. I think it was 2014. We did face the children in New Brunswick, and I remember getting an, a, a furious message from a pro-choice activist in the province who said, "I hate your images because they turn people off of abortion." And now I'm like, "Oh, you have no idea how happy I am that you gave me that quote because that's the strategy is to turn people off of abortion." And now you gave me a quote from a from a pro-choice activist saying precisely that. And, this is why Joyce Arthur of the Abortion Rights Coalition of Canada hates our images so much. This is why she'll say things like these images are fake. When they say the images are fake, there's an ad- inherent admission to that statement, which is that if they're not fake, that then obviously they are saying something very serious that should be grappled with. One final thing on, on the juxtaposition between the, the embryology or the ultrasound photographs and the, and the abortion victim photography is one of the points that I think pro-lifers need to understand is that in our culture, by and large, we are not facing a population that is unaware of the fact that the baby in the womb is a baby. Because if you're having a conversation that doesn't include abortion about pregnancy, everybody knows what we're talking about, mm-hmm. right? You know, my friends at university, even my pro-choice friends, if somebody was expecting, never asked them what they were expecting, never had any doubt that there was, in fact, a son or daughter in there, that it was a little baby. Anybody who has done any campus outreach will know that these people become mysteriously moronic the moment abortion comes up. They knew all this stuff before but they deliberately forget it and suddenly become confused about what's going on during the process of pregnancy when the uh, the issue of abortion comes up. And that's because in our culture, with abortion having been legal in Canada since 1969, in some places in the U.S. since 1973, although there's more of a staggered system there since Dobbs, is a cognitive dissonance between what we instinctively and intellectually know about babies in the womb and what we we ideologically believe about abortion. And these are two entirely inconsistent views where we know the baby in the womb is a baby. We're going to throw, you know, a baby shower for the people um, who we're expecting. If they're happy about the pregnancy, we treat it as a baby right from the very beginning. We celebrate with them. We give them hugs. We buy them presents. If they don't want the baby, then we say it isn't a baby. It's a clump of cells. We change all of our language entirely. And so if you just show them a picture of a baby in the womb or a smiling, happy baby, it will affirm what they already intellectually know, but it won't challenge what they ideologically believe because they've got that barrier up. They have this cognitive dissonance in in their minds. When you show them an image of an abortion victim, you actually attack that cognitive dissonance and you force them to try to reconcile what they already instinctively or intellectually know about the baby in the womb and what they ideologically believe about abortion. That's why you sometimes get like angry, loud, shouting reactions is because they're suddenly being forced to merge these two separate uh, beliefs that they have or their knowledge and their belief. And it's like, you know, being in a very dark room when the light's been off for a long time. When somebody flicks the light on, your eyes hurt at first. And so that's another reason I would argue that most of the time, for most people, a picture of a baby in the womb isn't actually going to change their minds. There are some people who are still open enough to the truth. There are some people who need the right picture at the exact right time, and providentially it speaks to them. Most of the time, however, that isn't going to do the trick. Absolutely. And and let's let's from there pivot into what, what do we do with this information? And I want to ask an interesting question that, that gets posed to me at almost every meeting that I have with other pro-life groups, every um, campus pro-life group, church groups, all this kind of thing. 
why do so many young people get involved with CCBR? And and the, yeah. the anticipation, um, and I, I've had people ask this of like, is it because you're on the TikTok? Um, is, is this question that gets asked to me? And uh, I, Carissa, <laughs> if you're listening, I love you to bits. Michael Roy, who's done social media for us. Everyone who's been involved with social media scene, um, love you to bits. It's no secret that CCPR is not a social media organization. The reason we're getting young people, in my estimation, I'm curious on your thoughts, mm -hmm. is not because we have great social media, not because we have sweet swag or beautiful offices or, or cool um, vibes in our office, but rather because this theory of social reform is working and the people mm -hmm. want something that works, even if it's going to be hard, even if there's going to be short-term losses for long-term gains. Mm -hmm. What, what do you say, first of all, uh, uh, when people ask, like, like, how do you get so many young people involved? What mm -hmm. is your go-to answer? And then let's pivot into for groups that want to be starting to embrace this and the killing mm -hmm. um, strategy of abortion victim photography, embracing the, um, the principles of social reform that we've, like you mentioned, adopted and adapted for the current setting. Mm -hmm. Where do we go with that? Yeah, so I, I agree with you completely. That's the reason I got involved. And I, and I think it's worse now than it was when I got involved, culturally speaking. And I think more and more people are waking up to that, is that the, the cultural uh, and moral decay of Western civilization in general is, is, I think, very front and center for most people. So I live in like a pretty small town in Ontario, and you've got towns now with two streets, a public library, and a drag queen. Yeah. Right. It's this this sort of thing is kind of becoming the norm. And there's a lot of people who look at the state of Western culture. They look at the rate of de-Christianization, de a tiny minority of Canadians practice any form of Christianity. And they think like, well, what can we possibly do? And I remember, you know, growing up and hearing a lot about, you know, how bad the world was getting. And you kind of think, well, like, I just got here. I don't want everything to be all depressing and dark and, you know, all the time. And the first time I was out on campus and I saw somebody change their mind using an incredibly simple set of arguments that we've, I think, honed and simplified even further um, um, uh, at, here at CCBR with arguments you've been talking about on this show, this show for well over a year. And so for me, it was it was so incredibly empowering, not like, ho ho, I, you know, I just used my brain to beat up on these other people's arguments. It was like, wow, so this person is now pro-life identifies as pro-life signed up for the pro-life club because I used a simple set of arguments and some pictures. Maybe if we do that thousands more times, you can actually affect broader cultural change. So these kids, sometimes I'll get calls from parents and they'll say, what did you do to my kid this summer? Right? Because they come back and for a bit, they're totally insufferable because all they want to do is talk about the experience they had that summer. And I'm like the difference between the, the kid who went into the internship and the kid after the internship. And this was the difference between me going into my first experiences on campus, invited by Stephanie Gray and Jojo Ruba, and afterwards, is suddenly you actually believe things can change. And the reason you believe things can change is because you witnessed it on the micro. You, you witnessed it on the micro level. It was the first year I went full time that I actually got to hold a baby who was scheduled to be aborted at the Kensington Clinic downtown Calgary. When you see these things happen, I am actually very optimistic about the ability of young Christians to make a real impact that saves lives and change minds. I am not, I'm not optimistic about the trajectory of the culture writ large. I am, I am, I'm, I'm, I'm very pessimistic about many different things, but why people, people ask me at one of the, my, my recent presentations, like, but you seem so optimistic. I'm like, yeah, yeah, no, I would probably, you know, not be in good shape if I worked in politics, <laughs> but because I work on the educational arm, because change is not something we're waiting, you know, six months, five years, 10 years down the road to see, but because we're seeing change day over day, 
that's something that it's it's you don't have to wait for the politicians to take action. You don't have to wait for the universities, you know, to burn down and rebuild. You don't have to wait for all these cultural institutions to regain their sanity. You can simply go out there and you can talk to people. And the reason I relate to our interns, even though I'm now a healthy number of years older than them, is because I'm jealous of the people going on the road this summer. <laughs> Um, like the young people, because I know what kind of experience they're going to have. I know it will be transformative. And it's because they'll be so empowered by watching people change their minds. And I remember what that was like for me when I realized that like, we actually, we don't have to do something for the sake of doing something. We can do something because it works. So we're not saying guys, you know, we, we're not called, we're not just called to be success, successful. We're called to be faithful. You know, this is a, this is a hill worth dying on. I'm saying you don't have to die on this hill at all. You can go out there and you can change minds. We're talking about less people dying, not more, and real change is possible. Yeah, absolutely, and and, and that's what fires me up. Uh, uh, as we mentioned, so two weeks ago, um, time of posting, I was in Winnipeg with a high school yeah. camp, and to see twenty three um, high school students who none of whom had had any pro-life involvement before beyond maybe attending a march for life not never had a conversation the first question i ask at all of my apologetics workshops okay how many of you have tried to change somebody's mind on abortion mm. and often there's a sprinkling of people not a single one of these students raised their hand and by the end of the week i believe almost every one of them had mm. seen somebody change their mind on abortion absolutely incredible um the the um, immediate gratification is phenomenal within this arm of the pro-life movement. And so hopefully there's a few of you in the audience here who are listening be like, oh my goodness, let's bring this to our hometown. Let, let's start start bridging this in. And, and I, I might contradict you in this, in that like, I'm not necessarily saying drop everything, like cold turkey, don't do anything that you've ever done before. Um, next year and only do CSPR stuff. Um, <laughs> I, I feel like subgroups could could um, afford to have a more aggressive transition than others. I'll put it that way. I think in response specifically, though, to how do you get the young people involved? That is the answer. Young people aren't interested in in the Christian version of virtue signaling, which is letting everybody know what you think for the purpose of doing so. That's a good thing to do. Again, I think the billboards, you know, bring a bit of they certainly bring a bit of light to my day. But if you want to know why young people are coming on and you want youth involvement in your community, give them something to do where they will see the results with their own eyes. And to turn it around on you for a minute, do you remember the first mind you ever you ever changed when you were doing activism? Because I, I remember and I'm wondering, you got a million testimonies since then. But do you remember the first time? Yes. Yep. What, where, so, was it at UVic? So two funny stories. So the first one um, was in um, Courtney Comox on Vancouver Island. I changed the same guy's mind like 25 times because what? he was <laughs> he was entirely inebriated and he just kept bringing up the same arguments oh. and then be like, oh no, you're absolutely right. Yeah, abortion's wrong. And then he would just like go back into his drunken stupor and bring up the same arguments. <laughs> so I changed his mind uh, 25 times <laughs> over probably. Um, but no, at, at UVic, um, seeing somebody change their mind the first time we did Choice Gene on campus there. Absolutely Which was incredible. 2011? 2009. Okay. So that's the first. Were you in NCLN that year? No, 2010 NCLN. Okay, now that's pretty. That's that's incredible. Was that the time you guys got stuff chalked at you? So I was at the display for like. So we did a, a three day display. I was there for all but half an hour of the three days, mm -hmm. and stuff got chalked at us during that half an hour that I was not there. So Good I, I missed yeah. that apparently. But <laughs> so you, like, um, you like passed the assailants on your way to class. Yeah, basically. somehow, somehow <laughs> that, that I, like I, I had some exam that I had to get at least a half hour studying in for. And then I missed the kitty litter and stink bombs. But um, I, I had lots of phone calls that had me charging back out there. And by the time I got there, they were all gone. So, so what was it like for you to change your mind for the first time and realize that that had actually happened? That somebody because we're told this issue is like entrenched. 
right? That, you know, there's pro-choice people and pro-life people on there, the twain shall meet. And when you actually see it happen for the first time, it actually contradicts a lot of what you'd been led to expect. Because I was skeptical when I went out the first time. Like, really, this works? Oh, absolutely. And and like for that person, I did not believe that they actually changed their mind. And I feel like I I pestered them for like an extra five to 10 minutes of like, like, no, no, no. But but like, what about sexual assault? And they're like, no, everything that you said, like, it's still a baby. Like, okay, well, no, hold up. Like, I don't believe that you're pro-life yet. I don't believe that this worked as completely as you're showing me that it did work. Mm -hmm. Um, And and thankfully, they were actually teaching me how to use the sign a little bit better. We teach everyone to like refer to the sign super often. And this person was just like pointing at the sign of like, but if that's real, yeah, this yeah. is wrong. And so they were actually coaching me how to refer to the sign mm. more frequently. But yeah, I, I didn't actually believe that they had changed their mind because I didn't realize that that could be accomplished in a, a 20 minute conversation. And so what, what was that like when it sunk in and you were like, wow, this, there's another pro-lifer on campus because I talked to him for 15 minutes. Oh, absolutely elating. Yeah. And uh, the, the, Best story of that. So a friend of mine, um, Gloria, who you might have met at one mm-hmm. of the, the Victoria presentations. So she she joined us for Choice Gene a couple of times. And we only did Choice Gene in Victoria whenever uh, CSPR people came back. Mm-hmm. And so it, it was very sporadic. We had been there four, five, six times maybe. And on the sixth time, Gloria like drops her sign and runs over. And she's like, Cam, I changed somebody's mind. <laughs> and I was like, that's awesome. High five. And she was like, no, you don't understand. I changed their mind on abortion. And then, is like, he out of earshot? That was the most natural response that <laughs> yeah. I think is out there. Yeah, and totally. That's that's what I was doing in my head Yeah, when it happened. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> that, that like was so cool to see that this actually works. And I feel like I was stunned for a little bit. And then it all kind of like broke loose during the debrief afterwards of like, no, like they actually agreed. We, like, this person could actually join the club. It, it was mind boggling. Mm-hmm. As the first one, and now, as I'm sure you can understand, and as many of our internal alumni in there, it's like pulling teeth for Alex and Jared to actually get testimony videos by mm-hmm. the end of the summer because it's become so Normal. commonplace and, yeah. and happenstance. And they started something. the summer writing like a whole novel. And I found some of my first testimonies from like, yeah, what was it? I graduated university in 2011. So in the years on campus where I was first, like, it was a big deal yeah. that I had changed a mind. I felt like a page and a half testimony. I'm pretty sure I wrote what the person was wearing. And then by the end of it, you're given like three lines, right? This person used this argument. This is how they changed their mind kind of thing. <laughs> Them plus human rights argument equals pro-lifer. Yeah, yeah. That was Carrie, uh, Carrie Ann's argument. Yeah, what was it? It was uh, pro-choice Dylan. Human rights argument, pro-life Dylan. That was her whole testimony. <laughs> That's fantastic. And so again, hopefully anyone who's tied in with a pro-life group is is really fired up by this. I mentioned off the so I didn't mention off the top. The the opening line of the intro before we we got into things was effective social reformers mm-hmm. are seldom like like social social reform social reformers are seldom effective. Let's talk about that for a moment because mm-hmm. I, I hope that there's a lot of groups out there that are inspired and I hope that they can look towards groups like Toronto Right to Life, like Lethbridge, Pro-Life, like a number of others that, that have collaborated with us and mm. seen the growth and whatnot. But I think um, to steal the words of, of Pope Benedict XVI, that, that the church is going to get smaller before it gets stronger kind of thing. Have you seen that with the groups that you've worked with and you've given presentations to mm-hmm. almost every active pro-life group in the nation at this point? When it comes to pivoting from something that might be a little bit more socially acceptable to something that might be a little bit more socially difficult to embrace, what kind of advice or encouragement might you give to weather that storm of pivoting from marketing to social reform? So for me, the interesting thing about right to life groups is they have very broad mandates, generally speaking, right? It's just doing pro-life things in whichever community they're founded in. So Lethbridge is Lethbridge and Toronto is, well... 
9 million people, but they like a very broad mandate. And so I don't actually think, so like, you know, let's just take Lethbridge for example, because they're a great group that we've been partnering with for probably close to 10 years at this point. They both fund and help a youth wing that goes out there and does outreach, door knocking, partners with us, sends interns our way. They also help out the Lethbridge Crisis Pregnancy Center and they do they do presentations. For me, I think that right to life groups who are looking to basically get a, a shot in the arm and especially the ones who want to bring bring in the next generation because a lot of these groups are run by dedicated people who have been doing this for 50 years i was at one in uh saskatchewan or manitoba i forgot they look the same to me um one, one of the and she was like 93 and still stuffing envelopes right 93 years old i think she's put in her time but they were like how do you get the youth and the reality is most of them got involved when this was a political battle that still seemed winnable right it was the fight over the charter it was um post decriminalization, but prior to Morgan Taller, and they were doing things like in, in Vancouver, as one example, right, taking over the hospital boards, the therapeutic abortion boards. And so once when those battles were all lost, right around 1992, after the bill failed in part in the Senate, pardon me on a tie vote, a lot of them didn't have a lot of direction since then. And so we had there was a surge of involvement that really tapered off for for a good decade. Um, yeah, I would say like a solid 10 years where there was, there was a lot, like a lot of tapering off. There was, you know, these faithful people plugging away, doing their stuff. I have so much respect for them because they just carried on. They kept on manning the offices. They kept on doing the work. So by, by no means am I claiming that nobody was doing anything, but there was a massive drop in recruitment and a new involvement. So the people that were there, you know, kept tirelessly plugging away, but they weren't getting a surge of new recruits. Um, and I think that right to life groups now, I'm not saying drop your support of, you know, this home for unwed mothers, um, drop your support for this crisis pregnancy center, stop, you know, getting into the schools because, you know, you want to do a different kind of presentation. No, do all those things. But if you want a youth wing that's doing two things, one, it's changing minds in the community, but B, it's a visible presence that will attract other young people and it will create a pro-life youth culture. That is what I, I do think every right to life group in the country needs. So I, I I wouldn't actually say for the most part, there's always some useless things that people do, but you know, you know what, whatever. So you need social events to build culture as well. Um, but I, for the most part, I wouldn't tell right to life groups to drop anything they're doing. I would say you need to add a youth wing because very few of them have a youth wing. Some of them do very few. Yeah, absolutely. And that's something that we are so excited to be able to partner with groups on. Mm -hmm. I know that my colleague um, Jeff Owen out here, our colleague here, um, Blaze Lane, and a number of other people out in Ontario as well, are thrilled to work with a ton of different pro-life groups and help make this transition towards adding this youth component. We're working with four groups in the Okanagan right now to line up a, a ton of content over the summer to be able to start drawing people in from the Christian colleges, from the churches, from um, the high schools, and, and that kind of thing. As I mentioned, uh, what we had in Winnipeg, drawing in these 23 high schools to some of which have already applied to our internship and want to come on staff and the whole shebang. It's incredible. Mm -hmm. And when they see something that's working, when they see something that resonates with their peers, mm -hmm. with people around them, um, it's amazing. And and honestly, I feel like the idea of the, that we communicate to our children all the time when it comes to the, the dinner that they get served of like, just try it. Of, <laughs> I feel like there is yeah. something to be said for that as well, because one, one of my last experiences, and I'll, I'll let you have the last word here. One of my experiences while we were out in Winnipeg was... We've been doing one of our choice changes on the U of M campus. And then this fellow pulled up with his, his truck and he, he asked me to come over. I, I went over and chatted with him while he was parked. And he said, you know what? I'm pro-life, um, but you're just pissing people off. You are just like hurting yourself more than anything else. And, 
And all I was able to, or what I was able to share with him was like, um, I, I can, I can appreciate why you would think yeah. that in theory, in practice, he's making like, the marketing social reform mistake. Exactly. Yeah. And, and I won't get into the, the testimony that I've said on this program, like a billion times already, I'm sure about the guy in Winnipeg who didn't believe that anybody would change their mind, stuck around, saw somebody change their mind and gave me a huge hug. Um, but like this guy actually saw, you know, what if, if this happens, it works. And I know that some of you are going to say like, mm -hmm. Jonathan, I want to trust you. I want to trust you. But I, I just, there, there's whatever hurdle left in my way. I just don't know if I can take that plunge. I don't know if we can commit to that right now. Honestly, what I would say, and I'm sure the same would go for Eastern offices and Vancouver and Winnipeg and everywhere else that we have community groups, literally just come and check it out. Literally just come and join us for an activism, join mm -hmm. us for a crash course, join us for whatever makes sense. And literally just see how this works and see people change their mind on the issue because I get that this might sound too good to be true. The idea of seeing people change their mind, it's not quite like shooting fish in a barrel, but to be able to see multiple people change their mind in the span of a 45-minute lunch hour at a high school or something like that might seem unattainable to go back to what we were talking about earlier, but it is attainable. And, and it's mm -hmm. attainable not just by superheroes like our interns, but by normal people like you and I that have just done an awful lot. And so that comes to my mind. My computer is starting to die on battery, so I'll throw you the last word here. Um, oh, anything else comes to mind? I'll ask you one question. How many times have you in a conversation been told by somebody at the end of a 20-minute conversation, I totally know what you mean. You've got me on that. I, I changed my mind. But you, you should do this a different way. This just doesn't work. After talking to you for 20 minutes and changing their mind, they almost have to like scratch back some fig leaf of a point that they're correct. I was like, okay, fine. You guys are right. I appreciate your point, but like, this is not the way to do it guys. I'm like, you just talked to me for almost a half an hour about abortion in the middle of your day. Like that, this is the reason you stopped. Have you had that a lot of times? Oh, well, uh, dozens of times at the very least. And also even more interesting than that. So we have those people and sometimes they'll say, sure, I stopped, but think of all the people who walked by and didn't stop. It's amazing, especially here in Calgary, where we've had such a long runway of doing activism, the number of people who stop and like, hey, I've seen you on street corners for like the last five years or two years or whatever. I've walked by your display for the last three weeks. And now I'm stopping to talk. And you know what, if I had stopped three weeks ago, I probably would have punched you in the nose. But stopping now and having thought about this for that long, I think that you guys probably have something to say. The only question I have left, left is what about a mother's life in danger? What about sexual assault? And they've gone from wherever they were at before to entirely different without even stopping to talk to us yep. because of the efficacy of the images. So last piece of evidence I'll give and I will sign off is very, very simple one. If you doubt that the testimonies can possibly be true, ask yourself why we got 67 applications for our internships this year. Ask yourself why most young people want to come back and do it again. They're not doing it because they just enjoy pissing people off. They're not, they're not doing it just because they enjoy going out on the streets and doing something controversial. In fact, a lot of them are completely the opposite in disposition, and yet they come back anyways. Why? I would argue that the size of our returning internships and the number of people who hear about it and want to join in as well is the best evidence that it's working because those numbers don't lie. Absolutely. I can't add on to that. So thanks a ton for tuning in. Thanks, Jonathan, for making the yeah. time. Um, and for all of you, please do, if, if you want help for making the, the transition towards um, integrating some of the ETK strategy, all of the ETK strategy into your um, local um, initiatives, reach out to us, prolifeguys.com um, and thekilling.ca, whatever it is, I'll drop all the, the links in the show notes below. And so thanks a ton for tuning in and may God bless you abundantly wherever you're at, however many hours are left in your day. Mm -hmm.